Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, happy summer. I am sitting here today in my happy place as I record this week's episode. And after this week, I'm going to be taking a little break to recharge and to really reflect on the past 200 episodes and also your feedback and input along the way. Friend, I am truly, truly grateful that you're here and that you continue to share your thoughts and perspective with me. I really love it and I am so grateful. Summer is also the time when I focus on giving my own creative engine a little boost. And I will share with you a bit more about some of the ways that I like to do that. You can follow me on Instagram over the next few weeks, and I'll share a few of my favorite creativity boosting resources, including a couple of fabulous books that this week's guest and I actually talk about. I have included those in the show notes, and I'll also share them on Instagram. So be sure to follow along. You'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan. But this week's episode is a great way to help us think about some of the most important factors needed to tap into creativity and particularly relevant for today's conversation and today's guest. That includes the role that both resilience and perseverance play in the process of creating something. Now, while today's guest is in a decidedly creative field, she is a successful songwriter and author. There is incredible value in learning how to tap into creativity, no matter what your career goals or aspirations may be. In fact, Creativity often provides that secret sauce, if you will, that helps you differentiate yourself or your brand. It can be what helps you sell an idea or maybe how you illustrate your value within an organization or even how you package services that you can provide to others as you think about a potential pivot or reinvention, as we often talk about on this podcast. For the purposes of our careers, understanding and leveraging creativity can actually enable us to push through when a problem feels insurmountable, or maybe to see a problem from a different vantage point, or even it might help us to be more open to seeing solutions that others may miss. 
We don't always think about creativity as it relates to building and sustaining influence. And yet, when we think about the people who are pushing through barriers, who are doing things differently, and who are challenging conventional wisdom, they are without a doubt tapping into some pretty creative magic. And they're building influence and having a major impact in the process. That ability to harness creativity can have a direct impact on our success and on our ability to inspire and motivate others. This week's guest provides such great insight into this topic. And while I hope your story and your journey are not nearly as painful as hers have been, understanding that particular dimension of drawing from pain in order to connect with others and of using those experiences of failure and loss to provide hope can be a really important dimension of the creative process. And it's a big, big part of this week's conversation. This week's guest is Amy Mayo. She is a successful Grammy-nominated songwriter. Her songs have spent 26 weeks in the number one spot on the Billboard charts. Albums featuring her songs have sold more than 155 million units worldwide, which is just incredible. She is primarily known for writing hits for artists including Taylor Swift, Tim McGraw, Lone Star, Kenny Chesney, Megan Trainer, Adam Lambert, Martina McBride, Blake Shelton, and many, many others. She is one of only a handful of female songwriters to receive both BMI's Country Song of the Year and Songwriter of the Year awards. And that puts her in the rare company of legends like Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn, and even Taylor Swift. Amy's book, her memoir, is called Talking to the Sky. It took her almost 15 years to write and publish the book. It was recently released as an audiobook and is currently being made into a movie of her life. Amy's song, Amazed, which was recorded by Lone Star, is one of my personal favorites, and it's one of her most popular to date. She also wrote Martina McBride's song, This One's for the Girls. Now, in this week's conversation, you'll hear what helped Amy push through fear to enable her to ultimately share her personal story with the world, what she considers the secret to her success, how she thinks about her very painful childhood and why she sees that as a gift. She talks about her perspective on competing with one's previous success. That's a topic that is really prevalent in one of my favorite books on creativity, a book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. We talk about that in this conversation. And Amy and I also talk about what she learned from the most successful female artists about what they do differently. You'll also hear a lot in this week's conversation about mindset and some of the other factors that help us create the conditions in which creativity and inspiration are much more likely to strike. Friend, I think you'll wanna read Amy's incredible book to fully understand how amazing her story really is and why it's destined for the big screen. But before we get into today's conversation, there's one important caveat. There are a number of very difficult topics that we talk about in this episode. 
suicide, mental illness, and abuse. And while we do not go into significant detail, these are incredibly painful topics to hear about and to discuss. And so I wanted to share that up front with you. I hope, and I know Amy would agree, that sharing her story will provide both hope and inspiration to anyone who may be struggling, and that her perspective on creativity and finding inspiration will give you much to help inspire your own story. And now my conversation with the incredible Amy Mayo. Amy, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you. I had a chance to read your terrific book that came out actually during COVID. It came out about a year ago, but I had a chance to read it. And um, our mutual friend, Dana Perino, had recommended you for this podcast. So I'm really excited that we're having I a chance to chat today. Dana Perino, she's She's amazing. She's like, amazing. I always look up to her because she's so great at the things that I'm not good at. You know what I mean? Like she's I do. taking care of business all the time. <laughs> and she's got two terrific books. She's been on this podcast a couple of times. She's really terrific. But today I want to talk about you and your amazing story and your amazing success. You are a very successful songwriter in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, to your credit, some of my favorite songs, Amazed, is right up there at the top. But I think chances are most people listening to this podcast probably don't know a lot of songwriters if yeah. they know any or really what it's like to be a songwriter. Maybe talk a little bit about how you got there. Why? And, and, and when did you know that you first wanted to pursue songwriting? I knew like pretty young because like right after my parents got divorced, I went for a little while and my mom got remarried so fast. Like my mom, I didn't even understand they were divorced by the time she, she had to go to a different state because the divorce wasn't final. And so after that divorce, I didn't see my dad for months. And then the next time I saw him, we went to see the movie, the Buddy Holly story. And so they were writing songs in that movie and I'd never seen anybody write a song before. And then after we left, I told my dad, I was like, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And he was like, what? And I said, a songwriter. And he said, um, well, what makes you think you can do that? And I said, because I got a title. <laughs> and so <laughs> we ended up writing that title on the drive to my grandmother's house. Like, because my title was, if only I could hold you again, I'd never let you go. And then he said, I'd always let you know you had a friend. If only I could hold you again. And then we, so we sang it up to her, like up the mountain to her house. And then probably about six weeks later, he came back to, he lived, he was all over the place, but he came back to Gadsden and he, he had a little shoebox and in it, he had made these little 45 records of if only I could hold you again. And it said Amy Mayo and Danny Mayo. And when I saw my name on that record, even though it wasn't really a record, it was a demo, but I thought it was a record. So when I saw my name on it, I was like, it kind of locked it in my heart. This is what I want to do for sure. And then, I, you know, wow. when I'm listening to it and it's recorded, it just, it was amazing. 
Yeah. I know your dad pursued songwriting as well, along with a lot of other careers. He, yeah. he did a lot of things during the course of your of your childhood and your young adulthood. But was he already writing songs as well? Or were you kind of the inspiration for him yeah. too? I definitely wasn't the inspiration for him writing songs. He like, um, so when the year I was eight, my whole world changed, like, because he shot himself on Christmas Eve. And then but they, he survived. Yeah, right? thankfully he made it. But um, he he came pretty close to not making it. But after that, he before that he had been a gambling janitor when he worked. My mom did all the work, and like he usually like he said he worked at this button factory, and she called in the middle of the night, and they're like, "We never heard of a Danny Mayo." Like so, he just like was gambling for a living, and so after he almost died, like um, then he. Then he just said, he told us at the dinner or at my grandmother's dining room table, he was like, I'm going to do something. I'm going after what I love. I'm going to do something in music and movies. And everybody just thought he was nuts because we're in this little town in Alabama. And he had been writing songs, but I'd never seen him write a song or heard any of his songs. Because I guess he would maybe, I don't know when he was writing them. I guess he would write them like with other people not at home or just by himself not at home. Yeah, but there was something in him, I mean, that he was, there was something that was sparking his own creativity. I mean, that's a big piece of what I want to talk to you about is about this idea of creativity, regardless of what career path you're pursuing. It's certainly critical in what you do, in writing and other sort of creative pursuits, but it's important regardless of what your, your, um, your career path ultimately is. I'd love for you to talk a bit about the creative process for you. How do you create the conditions to maybe call forth creativity? Do you just wait for it to come or is there a process that you undergo? You That just made me think about something I heard the other day and it I won't remember the writer who said it, but it was somebody like Stephen King or somebody with crazy success. And, and somebody said, well, when does your inspiration come? And he said, well, I usually go out there about 10 in the morning. You know what I mean? And that's when, and just sit there and, and wait for something to happen. I think with a right, like, especially with a writer, the thing is that self-doubt is, is off the charts with a, mm. you know, with any kind of writer, because you're, that's a pursuit that you do alone. And I dealt with so much. It's weird. I dealt with more fear writing my book than I ever did writing songs. And I think because writing songs, I've got a co-writer. So I've got somebody kind of cheering me on, helping me figure it out. Like, and I never have enjoyed writing songs by myself. Like I like to co-write. So, um, but I think no matter what creative pursuit you're in, it's always the self-doubt. You know what I mean? It's I always do. the self-doubt that, and it makes me wonder, I want to write a song about it sometime, but it makes me wonder about all the undiscovered things out there. The people who wrote books, I could cry thinking about it. The people who wrote books or wrote music and nobody ever heard it or read it. I mean, that yeah. to me, that is more heartbreaking than, than failure. Yeah. And that fear that you oftentimes have that I think you're alluding to, of not bringing it forth because you're too afraid of what people will think or how it will be judged or perceived, right? Exactly. How how do you get past that, 
right? I mean, clearly this is something that resonates with you. It resonates with me too. And I know it probably resonates with everyone who's listening, but how do you get past that? Because you, you do that on a regular basis with your songs. You did that with your book. Um, that's, it takes a lot of courage to do that. It's, it's weird because with the songwriting, I think I was so young when I started writing in general. And then when I moved to Nashville, trying to be a songwriter and um, everybody just thought I was delusional. There weren't there. I don't even know of another female songwriter when I got here that wasn't like Loretta Lynn or Dolly Parton or Mary Chapin Carpenter. They were writing for their records. They weren't trying to be a songwriter for other people. So with that, like with the songwriting thing, I think I was so naive um, that it did the self doubt and fear, and I was so young that the self doubt and fear it didn't take the toll on me with that. Like because somebody asked me, like they said this this question stumped me, and and it's rare for a question to stump me. But somebody asked me, "What do you wish you knew when you got to Nashville?" Like <laughs> trying to be a songwriter, and I thought and thought, and I was like. I don't wish I knew anything because it would have made it would have made everything harder. <laughs> but then what made me let go of my book finally, because it took um, like 13 years to write it and then like a year of editing. Mm. Um, but so what finally made me let go of that is I realized and I get super emotional about this, but I realized that my kids had watched me write it their whole life. Mm. And that if I didn't let it go and I didn't put it out, the effect that would have on them, because I think that would make them maybe not go after their dreams. You know what I mean? Like, because they watched, they watched me just do this, you know, and, and, and it took time away from them and they just watched me do this for so long. And finally, I just realized like, even, even if it failed that I, it would be, it would not be as painful as if um, I didn't let it go and put it out. Yeah, I love that. I I absolutely love that. There was something that I wrote down um, as I was reading your book. Um, You say, I think it's in the author's note in the very beginning of the book. You say, you're not sure why you wrote the book. And then um, as I was thinking about it, I wondered now that it's been about a year, right, since you've written the book and you've had a chance to reflect even more on the fact that now it's out there, right? The world has it. People have read it. You've gotten great feedback on the book. I'm curious as to whether the answer to that question about why you wrote the book has become more clear. Is it just about your kids or has have there been other things that oh, have been that's revealed to you? That's a good question. I've never really thought about it like that. But since I'm working on this screenplay, I have yesterday I went online because I'm trying to figure out what most people took from the book. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, so I went online because I want to stay true to the theme of what people, you know, have said that they liked. And when I was reading the stuff, because I don't like to read reviews because you remember just the few bad ones, you know right. what I mean? You, yes, I do. They can be amazing, the other ones, but you're going to stick on a couple that get in your head. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but my 14 year old daughter loves to check the reviews and she comes and tells me every negative thing oh, lovely. negative thing that she ever sees but yesterday when I was reading it it was like 
I understood why I wrote it. Like when I was reading what other people said. And I love when like a mom or something tells me they read it and they related and then they gave it to their sister or they gave it to their daughters and their mom. Some families, the whole family, like the kids, the mother, the grandmother, that the sisters, like they all, you know, like passed it around. And so like that really means a lot to me when like I realized I wrote it like for anybody that's like an underdog going after a dream that seems impossible that mm -hmm. everybody just thinks they're crazy to even think about that so i wrote it for like dreamers and then i wrote it for anybody that's feeling suicidal and just hopeless and then also for um any anybody in an abusive relationship because that has like that really shaped me a lot too about like I wanted to be a songwriter for so long and I just had to keep going through one thing after the other. And then a little bit dealing with grief with um, a little bit dealing with grief, like, but most of the people took stuff out of, about going after their dream and the struggle and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We all relate to the struggle. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, as I was reading the book, I was thinking and I wanted to make sure and ask you this question. There's a lot of pain in this story, which you have just alluded to. Um, and there were parts, and I told you this before we hit record, that I just, you know, I cried and I wanted to rescue that little girl. Um, it just, it really broke my heart in places as I'm sure it did, you know, other people reading this. I, I wondered as I was reading it, how much do you think that pain was important in terms of how you bring that forth to the music that you're creating and the writing that you're doing how important what was that pain does that make sense oh yeah that makes perfect sense like the first thing that i can't help but think about like because i couldn't even believe i did this my very favorite line in the book it's not even in that we it, it's not even in the first three editions but like and then i realized that i'm like oh my gosh this is my favorite line and this kind of is what you're asking the line is now it's in the new one but it was up at the front because it's my favorite and it says all my greatest gifts have come wrapped in ribbons of pain mm -hmm. and like so that like your pain is your gift that's mm -hmm your pain is how you help other people. So if, if somebody, just like if somebody had lost a parent or something, they're not going to listen to somebody telling them anything about losing a parent. If that person hasn't, you know, because it's like you, you're just not going to listen to somebody that's like been in an abusive relationship, you know, like if you have, and they're trying to tell you about it, like, you're going to listen to the person who went through it and got out of it. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and I really believe your pain is your gift. No matter what you've gone through, that's usually what you can use to help other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Maybe talk a little bit about how you kept from allowing these horrible situations that you found yourself in how did you keep them from crushing your spirit? Because I think so much of the time people go through, I mean, just a, you know, just a little bit of what you went through over the course of your young life. 
and it can just be crushing. They can literally lose that that spark and they can start to listen to all those bad, awful forces that are telling them that they're not good. How, how did you not allow that to really soak into your core? One thing is like when you're growing up, you just know your little world. You know what I mean? Like, so I didn't really know like how different some people were growing up than me. And um, like, and also like my stepdad just keeping me grounded for a total of three years. I realized later that gave me a big head start as a songwriter, but that was so painful because like that was at those years where everybody was, you know, learned like all my friends were at spin the night parties or the skating rink and all this. And I was at home by myself. And like, so I think that just made the fire burn harder, like that, you know, once I can live my own life you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. but i've always been fascinated with that question too because sometimes you'll see people in the same family like there could be two brothers and the parents just telling them both like you're never going to amount to anything you're this you're that and um one of them will believe it and the other one will be like i'm gonna show you you know what i mean i'm gonna prove you wrong Meanwhile, the other one, it just shuts them down completely. And I don't know what, I don't know what that's about. Like, you know, um, that, that's a killer question because I just, um, it made me more of a fighter. Every single thing I went through made me more of a fighter. Whereas a lot of people, it might make them, you know, just like hear those voices and nothing else and give up. It's so sad to me. I, I just wish that's one thing I wish I could inspire anybody to just shut those voices up. You know, that because we're kind of programmed by our parents. They just are telling us all this stuff. You know what I mean? And we're mm-hmm. and we're just soaking it all up. And a lot of times as we get older, our ideas of what we're capable of or what they told us. Yeah, absolutely. When you so now you're the mom of three. And you have at least one teenager. Do you have yeah. Yeah. Got a 14-year-old? And then I've got a son that um, just turned 20. And then I got a 21-year-old. Okay. All right. So as you have been raising them, when they have obstacles or, you know, they have a disagreement with a friend or you know, any number of things that happen that leave a child disappointed, how do you help them Uh, get back on track? Like, how do you use your story, right, to help them with things that are probably a lot less significant and probably a lot less painful than what you went through? How do you help, how do you help them kind of recalibrate a situation that they are encountering? One thing I've learned is like, my husband and me were talking about this the other night. So like, our, our boys are 20 and 21 and they're both making music. Well, it's, it's pretty wild because boys don't talk. They don't <laughs> tell you what's going on. And in their music, I learned so much about what is going on, like how they really feel. And um, so we were talking the other night about, it's just sometimes it can just be heartbreaking, you know, like, my one of my sons just had a big breakup like with this girl and it can just be heartbreaking but it's the same thing about 
that's kind of their pain and they're going to have to go through it, you know, because you can't protect your kids from everything. But I think one good thing that we've instilled in them is never give up. You know, if you want to do this, you can never give up. That's the whole thing. Like it may, who knows how long it'll take, but you, you will make this if you don't, if you work crazy hard and don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's really the secret to your success? I think it's a big part of it because yeah. like um, the just not giving up. It, well, one bit, the biggest part of it, I think, is believing you can do it because to me, you can't do anything that you don't think you can do. Like if you're just like a kid or something, like if they think they can't learn to tell time, you know, and you're just like, it's not that hard, just do this. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so if you, if you don't believe you can do something, to me, that's the number one hurdle is like just believing that you can do it and reprogramming your brain until you do believe, because that's what I've been doing with the screenplay because I realized the first couple months I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? That's yeah. all I heard in my head. And then I think it'll probably be the same thing where just not giving up, forcing myself to finish it, even if it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying real hard to not get caught up in what messed me up so long on the book of trying to make it perfect because nothing's perfect. And, and the beauty's in the flaws a lot of times. And so I'm trying really hard to not get too zoned in. I love that saying done is better than perfect. Mm -hmm. And um, I know it's going to get edited a bunch, but just believe I've had to really, really every day sit down and tell myself why I can do it. You know what I mean? Like the, yesterday I made a list of like 15 reasons why I should do it and why I can do it. And um, so that that's helping me believe it. But I think you got to believe it. That's for me been number one and then not give up. Yeah. Yeah. As you, as you think about this book becoming a movie. You're in the process of writing this screenplay, the book, and I'm not sure we said this, but the book is called Talking to the Sky. <laughs> and I've included it in the show notes so that folks can can order it for themselves. Um, as you think about this becoming a movie, are there pieces of the story that are most important to you that if the, you know, the, you know, the writers or the producers came back to you and said, hey, we're going to cut, you know, X, Y or Z. Are there any pieces of the story that are just so critical to you that you're like, we, I absolutely will fall on my sword if this piece is not there? So I think as long as the main theme is there and it's making people feel the same way as the book made people feel then I think like, yes, actually I was thinking there are things that I'll, that I would fight about like mm -hmm. the beginning, the opening, mm -hmm. because I, I don't think it's the same opening as the book. So that is one thing like the fall on the sword, but mm -hmm. that's the main only, that's the only one I can think of because like everybody's kind of on the same page about what the book is and the story. And, um, like it just made me so happy that like Dennis Quaid's been in a hundred movies and he was like, I saw, I, he's like, I had a flash of myself at the Oscars with you, with this, with this movie. And I've never had that happen. And I've been in a hundred movies and I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like, but 
he that's amazing yeah it really blew me away he he's been such a great like just voice you know like especially with trying to do this i know you can do it i know you can do it and it's like i've at least like now i'm doing it i don't know what's gonna happen but i, I don't have any promise somebody else comes in you know what i mean yeah. actually if it was somebody i loved i i would probably love it you know them coming in and helping get get it straightened out yeah yeah, I mean that it, it's amazing. I'm so excited to see where this goes. As I know that you are, um, so that's that's amazing. That's really amazing. Um, I'd love for you to talk about. You know, you talked about you were so young when you went to Nashville. You were still a teenager. You got signed by BMI, which was pretty extraordinary. You you didn't know what you didn't know. You just knew you had to make a living. You were yeah. working multiple jobs, as I guess a lot of people do when they're just starting out. But most people are not starting out as a teenager. But then ultimately, you realized incredible success with songs that every person listening to this podcast would immediately recognize. Mark, uh, Martina McBride's uh, Let's Hear It For The Girls, Amazed uh, by Lone Star. I mean, so many, so many songs. How do you, Amy, I've always heard that it can be sometimes difficult for artists and writers to compete with their own success, that sometimes having the success can actually have a chilling factor on your future ability to produce more work that you're constantly saying, oh, well, what if it's not as good as? How do you deal? Is that something that you've struggled with? And if so, how have you dealt with it? I haven't struggled as bad with that as like my husband really struggled with that. But he's also a songwriter. We yeah. should pause and talk about Chris Lindsay for a moment, who I was pleased to meet before we started recording. He's so cute. Wait. <laughs> And I, I just feel so blessed after all the somebody came up to him at this. At, we played this songwriter show in Florida a few weeks ago. And this lady, her, this lady had read the book and her husband had read the book and they had to be in their 70s. And um, I was just like they they sought Chris out and found him. And and that lady told him you must be a really good guy for her to trust you after everything she's been through with men. And it's true. You know, he's just such a, he is, he's such a great guy. Like when, when we wrote Amazed, I had had a couple singles before that song and one of them went to number three and one of them went, one of them didn't even chart. And, um, but Chris Amazed was his first single. And so it just, it was the biggest song of my career and his. Like it, it went on to get like this 8 million play award at BMI, which it, the list it's on, our kids were like, that's not even right. Like the songs that were around it. Um, <laughs> because I think because it could be played on every station, country, pop, adult contemporary. That's what I think happened with how it just kind of fit into all these radio stations. But uh -huh. so Chris had his biggest success first. And then he kind of dealt with that. Is that all there is thing? Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. I, I'm never gonna, you know, what if I never do anything like this again? It's like, um, and I, I remember too, like when Taylor Swift had her first record, um, I'm, I've known her since she was 14. I knew she was different from the very first time we met her. Like, but so after her first record, 
she had had a ton of success and she was really struggling with what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, I had seen like a Ted talk with Elizabeth Gilbert that yes. she was talking about after eat, pray, love uh -huh. that she just shut her down because that book was like so big and a movie and all this. And the Ted talk was talking about, it'll just be different. You know what I mean? It's not going to, it may not be as successful. It'll just be different. Like, but you can still do awesome stuff. And um, so I sent Taylor that and it's really wild because it, she wrote me back about how much it helped her. She wrote Elizabeth Gilbert a letter. And um, so it really did click something in her because every record's just gotten bigger and bigger. I have never seen an artist make that many records and change like she's she's growing and changing every time i mean it's crazy to go from country music to pop music and now she's doing almost folk music you yeah know what i mean like everybody in nashville is thinking she's crazy trying to cross over that's gonna totally you know yeah. wreck her career and then she got bigger than ever when she crossed yeah. over but i think it's always our mind that limits us whether we think i'm never going to be able to do this again or i'm not going to be able to do it to start with like and for me like the songs were just different like um amazed like was was a bigger hit like but i had other songs go number one but that's the one it was a bigger song but like um this song on tim mcgraw my best friend was number one for three weeks and then this one's for the girls was number one for like 11 weeks on ac but that every song was different you just got to keep doing it because you don't ever know what's going to happen yeah yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned Elizabeth Gilbert. It's funny that you say that because that book, I don't know if the TED Talk preceded the book, but she wrote a book called Big Magic yeah. around that same time, which is absolutely one of my favorites. It's one that I go back and reread because there's just, there's so much in it and it's completely relevant to the conversation. So if folks listening have not read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, you don't even have to like her other stuff. This book is really very unique and it's the only one that i've found of its kind there's one by twyla tharp that also gets into the creative process that's also really great but this one is my favorite uh, for the reasons that you just talk about it's just such an interesting look at creativity and giving yourself that permission to be open to being inspired right yeah. to be disciplined about it but to being open to it at the same time amy when you when you write a song, do you know in that moment that it's going to be one of those that is a big hit? Or are you ever surprised by the ones that you're like, we nailed it with this one. And <laughs> sometimes I'm surprised in both directions. Like sometimes my favorite song probably that I've ever written that I'm just got obsessed with is this song, Red, Red, Red. Well, probably two weeks after we wrote it um or maybe two months after we wrote it i went to walgreens and taylor swift like her name of her new record was red 
everything. There was cardboard cutouts. It was the name of her first single, the record, the tour. And I was like, well, that that's going to screw this up for at least 10 years after, because, you know, that was all going to be huge. And so there's things like that that happen. I still love that song and I've pitched it. It's never found the right home, but I tend to get obsessed with certain songs like, and my husband, Chris, thinks everything's a hit. Like the last song he wrote is his favorite song. You know what I mean? But I'm, I'm different. Like I just latch on to certain ones. And so some of them have some of them that I love so much haven't been recorded. And then I've had a few that were hits that I didn't think were going to even get recorded. Yeah. Do you find, and I, you know, this may be a, a somewhat unfair question, but, you know, w- when we study, so, and again, this is generalizing in a big way, so I say that right up front, but but generally speaking, women tend to second guess themselves a bit more than men do. So with you and Chris as co-writers and partners, do you see differences in your approach? Maybe it's second you second guessing or I mean, do you see differences that you think relate to gender in the way that you two approach your work? I don't see it so much in the way we approach our work, but I definitely see it in female artists like female artists. That's I. I'm convinced, like I can tell pretty quick when we get with the artist, um, because we've written with so many different ones, and the the females, most of them, second guess themselves to the point that, like, and all the voices they take them all in, whether it's a friend or the record label or whatever, and they don't know, like they they don't have a, you know, they're swaying at all times. Mm-hmm. And so, but the one thing I did realize is the the females that make it, they are headstrong. And I think in some ways a female has to be more headstrong, like about defending what she thinks is right. And that I've always been that way. I've always been really like direct about, you know, whatever, if it feels right, because it's just, I don't know that I can't be any other way, but so like the females that I know that have just cut straight through, they're all the same. Like, um, Taylor, Miranda, Casey Musgraves, Mary Morris, like all the recent ones and Dolly and Loretta and all them for sure. But they know who they are. They know what they're trying to do and, and they'll fight with the label. You know what I mean? They'll just, I've seen them fight like crazy with the record labels because most of the record labels, if not all are ran by men. And a lot of times when, um, when somebody like Miranda or Taylor started, they're young. And so they got these men you know, in their fifties trying to tell them what 15 year old girls are going to like. And it's like, they they don't know. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it's harder for women to be headstrong and decisive, but I I see that quality in so many of, of the girls that make it because I think girls in society in general are taught to sit down and be quiet a little bit when they're growing up. And there's so many things like that women are just treated different. Little girls are just treated different about what they think and what they want to do and all that. Like, and so some, it's the same as what we were talking about. Sometimes it makes you just have to fight harder about what you think, you know, like, and I've learned the hard way too about 
giving in on things and then on songs and stuff, giving in when I didn't really think that was right. And then you really hate it after, right. you know, you demo it and it's all screwed up and you paid a bunch of money to demo it. Yeah. Yeah. How, how about sort of the flip side of all of that, which is getting the balance right between getting good feedback that's going to make whatever that product is better versus really caving in a way to your point about, you know, you knew this wasn't the right call, but you did it anyway. You were under pressure to do it and you just said, okay, fine, we'll do it that way. But how do you get that balance right? How do you know when you sort of what feedback to listen to and that kind of thing? I think for me, I just go in my gut instinct and like in some ways it's been a good example is, and this, this has been a real hard thing trying to figure out, but like I've had a few publishers come up and want to meet and we have met and um, they're wanting like to, to do the book and publish the book. But the weird thing is every one of them wants to me to take it off of Amazon and quit selling it for one of them for over a year. And it's like, it took me almost 15 years to get this book out and my heart and soul will not let me take it off of there and the audio book and everything, like just to bring it all down so they can do what I'm not even sure what they do. What I'm hoping is the movie will come out and then the book will, I can just get somebody to leave the book up and mm -hmm. not kind of mess with it. But so that was a really hard decision where I had to follow my gut because I get on there and I see these memoirs and stuff that, you know, they have so many, like they have so much promotion and they have so many like reviews and sales and everything. And it's like, just kills me mainly too, because my book's not in the bookstore, but that decision, I'm just having to stand by it because it feels like it's the right one. I don't yeah. know. Like I'm just really going my gut on that. And I've learned that big time too with writing the book because the, I had so many different like editors and stuff I found online and they just were changing stuff and I hated it every time. I just would go straight through ripping out because it's a memoir. It, it, they don't even know the people. So that made it right. even more confusing. And then finally, um, I just, I never liked any of it. And then I met this editor that he's married to a famous author. Um, he's married to Augustine Burroughs that did Running with Scissors and oh, a bunch sure. of other books. Um, but his name's Christopher. And so Christopher Shellen. And so he helped me so much. He read the book and he um and he just gave me four pages of notes. He didn't go in there and mess with anything. He just told me what didn't come across right, what he didn't understand, what I needed to talk more about, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and the biggest thing he told me. He, I told him a little bit of stuff some of these people online had said, and he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, follow your gut instinct. Follow, you know, that you've got to do that. That's the biggest thing here. And so um, I, I hung that on the wall. I printed it and hung it on the wall about following the gut instinct because it's true. I mean, I feel like we all have this inner compass and God telling us what to do. And um it's real hard to just listen to it and do it, even especially when you don't know why, you know, you feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to go back to something that we were talking about 
a little bit earlier around the creative process. And when you, so for you, you book studio time, you sit down, you got all these people that you have to come in and you really have to, you have to force yourself to create something, right? Where does that, where does the inspiration come from? Or how do you create the conditions to increase the chances that the time you spent creating will actually yield something? It's so crazy because like we always joke that we make a living doing something we have no idea how to do. (laughs) It's just like, I mean, there's been times when I went to write with Kenny Chesney and we like, you know, you know, when you're driving over there that if we write a great song, he'll record it, you know, like, so that pressure sometimes just makes it even worse, but like, you can't just make it happen. That's the crazy thing. And, and like, one thing I've learned is like whenever our muse or whatever comes in the studio or in the room with us, um, the to just trust it and also like negativity of any kind like shuts me down. If if we're working with somebody and they come in and they're just like the music business is over, you know, and they're saying like nobody buys records and all that. It's it's a done day from from then on, like because you're not you can't ever hardly get that back on track, like because. I'm way into like vibrational frequencies and that we, you know, everybody's on one level or the other. And if you're negative, you're going to pull in negative people. And if you're positive, you know, you're going to attract that. And I know like times when I've just, I was in the car with my daughter last year and everything was going wrong that day. And, and then some guy like, I never have road rage. I could care less what other cars are doing. I'll let anybody out in front of me. Like, I just don't care about that. And, and this guy though, like he just blocked me. And like, I just felt it hit me. I think I might be attracting even that, you know what I mean? He's in a different car and it, it just felt like, So I try to get myself back on track whenever I start like feeling myself get negative because it affects everybody in our house. And if somebody else in the house comes in negative, it it affects everybody then. You know what I mean? Like, so I try to be super aware of like the vibrational frequency. There's so much cool stuff online about it. And there's a killer TED talk about it, but it's, I think there's something big time in that, you know, really it's just energy, people's energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even I, when they walk in the room, like there's a saying about, you know, people, people feel your energy before they even, you say a word. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm completely with you and it can get a little woo woo. I mean, I'm a fairly, you know, feet on the ground, practical, small town gal. It can get a little woo woo, but there is something there. Um, there, there's absolutely something there. I know you're a big fan, Amy, of affirmations. Yeah. And I'd love to know maybe one or two of your favorites that keep you centered and kind of what they mean to you. Well, I love, I've said it on here, but I love that one, never, never, never give up. But I have quotes, like in our house, I have bathrooms, just every bathroom is covered in quotes. And there's so many that I love. One of my love is what we believe determines what we make true. So two of my favorites stick on that same thing. And I love done is better than perfect. And um, because I think a lot of people, 
perfection is just resistance and and they do like they trying to make it perfect is just fear from letting them do it and i really struggled so hard with that yeah yeah absolutely. trying to make something perfect because that's just paralyzing it is it absolutely is okay amy because influence is a topic that is really a theme for this podcast. And we sort of think about influence in a little different way than what I think people sometimes think about it, right? As you think about this concept of influence, what does it mean in your life and in your work? What influence do you hope you will have had on others? I hope that I will have encouraged others to go after their dreams. Like that's that's one very important thing to me because I feel like we have dreams for a reason. And like, I remember with the book thinking, why would God put this dream so deep in my heart if I couldn't make it true, you know, and at least release the book? Like I, I just, it seemed so pointless. You know what I mean? Like it, mm -hmm. why would you want something so bad and think about it constantly if you weren't supposed to do it? So that's like one thing for me that really was a driving force. Like I hope that I influence people to go after their dreams and to get out of bad, abusive relationships. And especially if somebody like, I hope that I'll inspire some people like, because when, when I tried to kill myself, I came so close and, mm -hmm. and my life hadn't even started yet. You know what I mean? I almost ended it before it had even started. So I would really want to talk to people like that, that just felt hopeless. And one thing I love like is, you know, you can fail doing something you don't even want to do. So why not just try to do the thing your heart's telling you to do? Because I mean, you could go take that other safer road and you could fail doing it. And that's like a double loss. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, I can't wait for the movie. I hope you'll keep us posted. Again, the book is called Talking to the Sky. Amy Mayo, what an incredible pleasure. I really loved this conversation. Oh, I love this conversation too. Hey friend, I hope you found both value and inspiration in this week's conversation with songwriter and author Amy Mayo. And I also hope that Amy gave you some additional perspective as you think about how to engage your own creativity and how to use dimensions of your own story, including maybe some of the more painful ones to help you connect and bring value to others. And most importantly, I hope that Amy's story and this episode actually provides hope to anyone who may be struggling. Friend, I'm so grateful for you, and I hope that you found today's investment of your time valuable and worthwhile and hopefully inspiring. And as always, I'd love to hear what you thought. So please be sure to use the contact link that's provided in the show notes to let me know. I'm going to miss you as I take a little break over the next few weeks, but I'll be back with you very soon. And hopefully by then I'll be fully restored and with some great new content and ideas to share with you. Until then, please be sure to follow me on social media. You'll find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan. And if you have a minute, please be sure to leave a review about this episode or any others, or just use the link in the show notes to contact me. I'd love to hear from you in whatever format. Until then, friend, have a great summer. 
You take care and I'll see you soon. She Said, She Said podcast is a weekly production of She Said, She Said Media.